Everybody staying dry? How, but, but wait, how beautiful are the hills right now? <laughs> like, I know that's like normal in Ireland, but that ain't normal here, man. That's like, whenever that happens, you're like, thank you for that paintbrush, God. Like, that was cool. So, man, just super thankful for the, for the moisture. Um, tomorrow, uh, we're going to be celebrating Martin Luther King. And uh, one of the things that I would highly encourage you is to take some time tomorrow and just read about this man. He was a follower of Jesus that I would say was a prophet of the dignity of humanity. He was a prophet that reminded us that we are all created in the image of God. It doesn't matter who we are. Every last person is created in the image of God and therefore every last person is is owed that dignity, not because we and of ourselves deserve it, but because our God deserves it. And so if you get a chance just to read some of the things he wrote, uh, some of his speeches, uh, just take some time. Uh, as a fellow follower of Jesus who's now in the presence of Jesus, what a cool thing just to be reminded that uh, God sends along men and women at different times in different places to call us to something greater. And I thought that he did that for our nation in a phenomenal way. And I think even too, it ties in well with what we're doing in Matthew 5. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them. If you don't have a Bible, there's going to be people walking down the aisles holding up Bibles. You can totally uh, get one if you'd like one. If you don't have one, seriously, feel free to, to keep it. We're, we want you to keep it. And so uh, uh, if you need to, that, that, that's totally fine. But what we've been doing is we've been teaching through what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I think for a lot of us, we, we kind of know what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's, a, it's one of the most famous messages ever preached. Uh, it's probably one of the most well-known of Jesus' messages. But it starts off in verse 3. And Jesus just lands out what we oftentimes call the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes, and this is what I mean, it kind of connects into what Martin Luther was doing. So much of what Jesus was preaching and teaching was the character of the kingdom. He wanted just to get that. And part of it was, is what he was trying to do was for us to understand what is our calling? See, he was laying out this idea of what my people are about to look like. And so therefore, in order for us to be radically different, in order for us to be these people that are noticeably different... We're supposed to embrace this calling that he was laying out. He was, he was launching something out there that these people have never heard before. In fact, when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you just see people going, whoa, who preaches like that? They're not, they're not even sure what to do with what Jesus just said. But in it, he didn't want it just to, to, to be this neat novel concept about it. And this is, again, where it kind of plays back into Martin Luther King. He wasn't just calling out and beckoning to this concept of freedom. We also need to make sure that we create a, con a contrast, and he talks about this especially like with, within what he's doing, a contrast between us and in this particular case, the, the religious leaders of the time. But in that, the, the, the drawing the line between who are God's people and how are we supposed to act and what are we supposed to do as the means though of not just, not just satisfying again doing something, but our whole goal is, is to impact the world, to slow the decay of depravity that's going on, to shine light into the darkness, not just bringing truth, but also bringing hope and grace to a world that so desperately needs it. But I would say this, it's also to make sure that we understand our job, according to Matthew 5, is to make sure that we put God on display. If you go all the way back to Genesis 1, the whole goal of humanity is to be these image bearers in which we reflect God to the world. In fact, we've oftentimes talked about this. Your job is to be a mirror. 
Now, if I'm blinding anybody, I'll just right now say, forgive me. But we're designed to be these mirrors. We're designed for the world to see our God. And it says in there, give glory to our Father who's in heaven. There's something big that we're doing here. And we're not just doing it on the macro scale. And sometimes we think, oh, Martin Luther King did it, but we forget we're doing it in every aspect of the mundane realities of our lives. We're living these lives to embrace our calling, to create a contrast and to impact the world. And that's what I mean. That is our goal. We want to be lights that shine in the world so that they might see our good works, but not so that they go, man, Todd is awesome or Cornerstone is awesome, but so they say the God they serve, he's awesome. That's our heart. Now, what we're going to do now as we transition into, into chapter 6 is he has laid out this idea that he wants the righteousness that we live, the righteousness that God forms in us that's greater. So it's not so much that maybe by, by, by kind or by, excuse me, by, by degree that we try to keep up with the Pharisees, but by what God has done in us. All of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have been made righteous because of the work of Jesus. Every last one of us in the sight of God, we are perfect. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. And what now God has called us to is now live out this righteousness. Not just something that is to be put behind the glass and looked at, but it's something that is to be lived out amongst them. And that's why he says, you must be perfect. Now we talked about that last week. It's not about arrival, it's about progress becoming perfect. God is shaping and molding us into the image of his son. So on one end, he says at the very end of chapter five, be perfect. But look at his first word in 6.1. Be perfect, but beware. And I was like, well, what, are we, what are we bewaring of, Jesus? Well, I'll never forget when I came to know Jesus, man. I was a pretty early follower and, and I'm just diving into God's word left and right and I'm learning so many truths and the college pastor walked up to me and he was like, hey, would you like to teach on the book of James? I was like, what? You want me? Like just a little bit ago, man, I'm smoking weed and whatnot. And you're going to ask me to come teach God's word. I mean, you understand, I'm a punk. I don't have anything together. And he goes, no, I just love how you have grown and developed and what God has done in your life. And just the way you're, you're beginning to grasp scripture, I would love for you to teach these, to the college ministry. So I got up and I... I taught James and I just remember getting done and just such fulfillment. Like I couldn't believe I got to open God's word and in, in, you know, I probably would hate to hear that message today, but I, I just, I got, to, I got to bring God's word to bear on people. But when I was done, this, this girl in, in our college ministry came up, her name was Barrett. And she was like super smart, super talented. She was pretty. She no, was pretty as my wife, of course. But she just, there were so many things, right? So she walks up, you know, and as a guy, we, we love to have our ego stroked. And she starts telling me all the wonderful things that I did that day in my presentation. And it was the first time ever something evil started happening to me around glorifying God. I loved what she was telling me. I loved it. Man, my ego started going. I mean, they had to literally widen the door for me to get out that day. It was so bad. But what it shows is something that can be so good, isn't it fascinating, can turn and become so evil. 
Now, what Jesus is going to do in this particular context is he's going to say to them, the beware of verse 1 is, is of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He says, no, 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 when we're supposed to practice our righteousness so the world might see our good deeds and then glorify our Father in heaven. But just understand, Jesus says, inside of you is the temptation to take what is mine and pretend like it is yours. To take my righteousness that I have granted to you in my son Jesus, to take the righteousness that I'm forming in you and then to claim it and somehow I did that. So grotesque. I mean, I remember as a kid, man, my sister was terrible this way. My mom would, you know, say to us before she left, hey, I need you to clean the house. And man, my sister, she was a bad woman. <laughs> I would clean the house. And then after I would get done cleaning the house, mom would come home and guess who would get the glory? My sister, dang straight, and if I said anything, she would get those nails out that she had just developed, and those nails would go into me hard and private. There's nothing worse than having glory robbed, but let me tell you something. When it comes to God, to rob his glory is the greatest defamation that you can do towards God. And so on one end, let me put it to you this way. I think chapter five is guarding our tendency to want to hide. We, we want to we drift back in. And let me just say, if you're someone who has a predisposition to want to hide, don't you dare think your hiding is any less sinful than those that are on the other side of it, vain. Those that like to hide, in fact, Jesus is going to talk about later on. He's going to talk about these servants that come along. And there's one servant who takes and hides his treasure in the ground. And in hiding his treasure in the ground, the steward now, or the, the owner of the property comes back and calls him, you wicked, evil servant. To hide is just as wicked as to be vain. And I think this is the other one, vain. So now you know what I struggle with even to this day the most. I struggle with vanity. Usually I'm pretty bombastic and loud. I mean, I'm standing in front of all of you teaching. So you can tell I don't mind being the one up in front of people. But a strength can become a weakness and evil fast. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to take three very important things and he's going to kind of compare them out between how the Pharisees would do it and how you're supposed to do it. Again, your righteousness needs to exceed the Pharisees. You need to let your light shine before God so that they give glory to your Father who's in heaven. But I would even say this, he's going to make sure that they understand if you do this in such a way that you bring glory to yourself, you will have, and that's, there's, see that little Greek word no there, no reward? Guess what the Greek word no means in, or the word means in English? No, none, nunca. I mean, I, I don't even know any other word, but nothing. No reward from your father who is in heaven. And I think he's just laying out this reality. Who do you want your reward from? And so that's really where he's going to go. Now, he's going to lay out three right acts, okay? The one act he's going to look at, if you look down in verse 2, he's going to have a right act that entails this idea of giving to the needy. So that's one of the first ones. He's going to give to the needy. But notice how at the beginning of verse 2 and in 5 and in 16, those are the three places we're going to look. He doesn't say, if you give to the needy. He says what? When. The assumption is that we will do these righteous acts, 
But he's making sure that we understand you need to get to the point of why, your motive for why you're doing what you're doing. So it's not if you do it. So if you think in the back of your head, well, I'm just not going to do it, therefore I don't get in trouble. You are the wicked servant who's hiding it in the ground. We're called to do it. And I would even say this. I remember asking a guy one time, he's like, how do you battle with pride speaking? I mean, do you just kind of quit? He goes, no, I actually go do it. And then I spend a lot of time in confession when I do the wrong thing. The only way we grow is by actually doing it. And let me just say this. Jesus is about progress, not perfection. In fact, I never want us to be a church where we're expected to be perfect. We are not perfect from that vantage point. We are in progress. And I think the difference between the Pharisees and what Jesus is talking about, Pharisees conveyed themselves as perfect. No, we're conveying ourselves in the fact that Jesus is perfecting us. He is progressively making us more and more different. Now, the giving of the needy, let me just kind of explain to you this way. It's something that was expected, especially for the marginalized within the Old Testament world. It was something that God over and over made sure that people understood. He truly cares for those that are marginalized. In fact, within the temple and in the temple court of the women, that's where they were, they were housed, were these 13 receptacles. Some believe there were six, whatever it was. But about half of those receptacles were meant for the people to put money in. They were brass, and when they would hit the bottom, they would go clang which, by the way, gives us a clue about what he's going to say a little bit later. Now, the whole point was, is about half of those were for the care of the needy. The other part was how you took care of the, of the, of the temple. But Jesus' point is, is no, this is a good thing for us to give to the needy. And I would say this, just going back there for a second, it is where we cultivate our heart of love for people. It's how we fulfill the law. We, we love people in that way, and we stir our love. The last two are about how we stir our love for God or how we fulfill the law in that way. What is prayer? Well, prayer is this wonderful reality. The first time you see it is is back at the end of Genesis 4 where it says at this point, people begin to cry out to God and they were recognized as those are God's people. After the fall, there's something so precious about prayer. This communing with God and being with him knowing who he is, and then being able to cry out to him and know that he hears us. The last one is fasting, and maybe just we'll put a little generality because it's, it's so much more complex than what I'm going to say, but on one level, it's hungering for God. So in other words, he's saying these three acts that are meant to, to allow us to love God and love people, isn't it fascinating? We can twist those. Now, what he's going to now do is, is he's going to now talk about, no, I didn't keep going. Why didn't you guys tell me? Okay, now you got to sit there and wait for me to go through all these. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. That's why. If you're new here, we put on a good show. All right, the twisted act. How did, how did they do it in a twisted way? Well, the first way he talks about twisted is this idea of sound no trumpet before you. In fact, I really wanted, before Diana read, I wanted to like hit a button and went, boop, boop, and then she read, but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to do that. But she's too nice. Now, the idea could be like the idea of maybe like the, the, the concept of toot your own horn, right? That's one way of putting it. But I don't, I don't think that's what he's talking about. That's something that's kind of a, a phrase that we use today. There's another side of it. Maybe there was a little trumpet, but we don't, we don't see any historical evidence for that. 
There's another side of it, which just is like he's being hyperbolic. Like, hey, don't, 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 don't do something like that so that people can see you, like, you know, tooting your own horn. That, that could be kind of there. But I think more of what he's talking about is those 13 trumpets that sat out there in the, in the court of the women. I think literally what's talking about is when everybody gathers there, it's the person that rolls up with all his stash and then sits there and goes, ding, bang, ding, 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 ding. It's just this calling to me. Now, the other day when I went into the gas station, this guy played in all pennies. <laughs> click, click, click. Now, can you imagine, though, that happening in this temple? Look at me give to the poor. 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 Something that's intended to be so beautiful in our love for people suddenly gets so twisted and ugly. He talks about praying. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues. One of the greatest honors was to be asked to pray inside of a synagogue. You would go up in front of everybody, and Jesus isn't saying praying publicly is a, is a wrong thing. In fact, it, Christian's going to kind of deal with that next week. But the idea was is to vie for it, to want it, to stand up in front. And then, I don't know if you've ever done this before, so I'll just confess in front of you. Like when I've been praying with people around me, and they start going, oh, amen, amen, man. It starts to fuel my prayer. And if we're not careful, we start to pray for the amen, not to God. The other part about it is, is this idea on street corners is they would in the afternoon sound a trumpet for a prayer. And the, the idea was the Pharisees waiting on the corner so that when people would like walk by, they'd be like, oh Lord, oh, I'm crying out to you today. It was just this drawing of attention or even this idea of heaping up empty phrases, thinking somehow if I just say the right mantra, if I say the right words, if I say in Jesus' name that he has to give it to me kind of a thing. Oh, it's, just, it's this thing that was intended for us to have communion and intimacy with God gets so twisted. And the other one was don't look gloomy when you fast for they disfigure their faces. It's this, this idea of like, oh, did you know I was fasting? <sighs> just so so worn out from what I've been doing. Jesus is like, seriously? You took this thing that was meant to hunger for me. You're not hungering for me. You're hungering for yourself. See, on one end, I think there's something that's happening here. See, we can either be a mirror or we can be a sponge. Now, what we know about a sponge is a sponge just loves to suck stuff up. Now, what I was wanting to do is I had this nasty sponge at my house that just sat there and I went and grabbed it today and I sniffed it. I wanted to bring that smell and just put that smell throughout it and just say to God, this idea of me being a sponge, that's what it's like, putrid. It's putrid. It's claiming something for yourself that's not yours. Now, what's the heart of the twisted act? Well, the heart is, is that they, you can see this, that they might be praised by others, verse two, verse five, that they might be seen by others, verse 16, that they might be seen by others. In other words, you don't want people to see God. You want people to see me. Here I am. Everybody get it? And to God, the word he uses is this word hypocrite. Now, hypocrites, it's a Greek word that it spoke of a mask. And what would happen is actors would put this mask on. And when they put the mask on is they would pretend to be somebody that they weren't. Now, to put it this way, a hypocrite is then one in this particular context 
that is one who really doesn't have a heart or care for people, but puts on the mask and then pretends that, uh, to others that they somehow care for people. Somebody that intimately wants to know God and passionately love them, they really don't have that in their heart, but they put on the mask to somehow convey to people that, no, I passionately love Jesus. It's the person that pretends like they're hungering for God and puts on the mask and really they don't hunger for themselves. They don't hunger for the, even the praise of people. They don't hunger for the praise of God. They hunger for the praise to just themselves, an infatuation with self. And let me just say this, we all do it. Deep within us, we love it. Satan knows that we love it. The world knows that we love it. And I would even say this, the moment that you put your mask on and the longer you leave it on, the harder it is to ever let it down. And after a while of wearing that mask, you become this fake person that then has to keep pretending to be something that you're not, and that is tiring. We do not present to our world perfection. Only Jesus was perfect. He has perfected us. We present to the world progress. And masks hide progress. And let me just say this, I don't think the world wants that. And I think even some of you have been involved with other Christians that put on that mask and it is so tiring to be around them. I'll never forget this, the, the first senior pastor I ever worked under, I just finished preaching the, my first message ever at this particular church. And I come in after and we're going to his office and he's across his desk, he's sitting there and I still remember with his knee up and looking at me. And we finished praying and he goes, Todd, I've got a few thoughts on your message yesterday. And I'm like, no, of course you do, man, I killed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Surprise, we don't have a revival in the coming weeks. This is the first words out of his mouth. He goes, don't believe your press. And I kind of sat up. He goes, because no matter how good others thought you were, you weren't. No matter how bad others thought you were, you weren't. And then he said these words to me, never allow people to promote you. Let God promote you. In fact, he said, Todd, do you understand? You were just doing your job. That's all you were doing. He, he kind of reminded me of this game. We, you know, where I was last, last, the last church I was involved, it was close to Denver, so everybody was Bronco fans. And, and so the Broncos were playing somebody, I don't remember who, and he was reminding me of this one play. And this one guy intercepted the ball, man. He, he kicked in the end zone, started high-stepping in, did this incredible, you know, way in which he sp spiked the ball, was sitting there running down there. And he goes, isn't it fascinating? That's oftentimes what Christians do after they preach. He goes, Todd, you're just doing your job. Now in that, this is what I think Jesus is going after, that when he's saying that, when you're just doing your job, what God has called you to, you don't receive the glory, God does. Now what's the outcome of the twisted act then? If that's really true, what's, what's then the outcome? Well, he's going to say in there, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. He's going to say this in verse 5. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Truly I say, they, they, they say to you, they have received their reward. That word have received is this Greek word for paid in full. That's what you get. If you did it for the praise of man, well, that's what you get. But this is the key. 
nothing else. Now, some of people were wondering why I'm bringing up this spray bottle. <laughs> There's no holy water in here. But that word vanity that I was talking about earlier, if you do this for vanity, there's a key concept behind, a van, behind vanity. All throughout the Old Testament, whenever chabel is used, it's, it's an onomatopoeia. It kind of sounds like what it is. Chabel, just breath. It can also mean vapor. But anytime it talks about vain acts, the idea is, and this is the way I would say it, it comes out looking great, but after a while, it just kind of what? It just goes away. And then in order to get that again, we, we do another fake act. And then we have to come over here and we have to do another fake act. But at the end of it, we constantly just see this, this pursuing after, just this vanity, this, this going after sand and never being able to get it within our fingers. And let me just say this, Jesus came to free us from that. To free us of our need of people to sit there and go, oh, you're wonderful, you're great, you're awesome, you serve great. Oh, because at the end, it's just all goes away. It's nothing. Now what is the difference between then a twisted act and a righteous act? Well, a righteous act, do I not have any more slides? <laughs> oh, they're up here, but they're not back. No, that's okay. Here we go. We're going to go old school. <laughs> a righteous act. Here we go. Now, the cool part about this is, is when he's talking about a righteous act, he's going to tell us to do this thing. Look down in verse 4 if you've got your Bibles. He's going to talk about this idea that it may be done in secret. Verse 6, pray to your father who's in secret that your, your fasting may be seen by your father who's in secret. Verse 18. In other words, develop the thing that is at the core of who you are before you begin to flash out to others that are out there. Now, what I think he's talking about is, is before you become one who acts like you can give, develop a heart for giving to people. Before you start praying in public, learn to just pray with you and God. Before you fast in this switches way that maybe others see it, just do it first to learn to just hunger for God. And I think really what he's going after is found down in verse 19 and 21. Look down there with me if you've got your Bibles. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But in the, instead, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Not the chabel, not just the thing that goes away where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. His point, cultivate your heart. Fuel your heart. Jesus was talking to a group of Pharisees that came up and said, hey, did you, did you know that your boys are out eating some grain and they shouldn't be eating grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus looked right back at him and said, hey, the funniest thing, it's not what goes into a mouth that defiles, or into, into a person that defiles a person, it's what comes what? Out, that comes from the heart. See, the entire Bible is this journey of God coming to our hearts 
of fueling our hearts of love and passion for him that then fuels our love for others. And then these deeds of giving to the needy and praying in public and, and fasting then become these ways of practices to fuel our hearts in greater and greater ways of love for God and love for people. I think this is what Paul was talking about in Romans 8. You don't have to go there, but he was talking about what's a true Jew and not a Jew. And he says, the true Jew is one whose praise is not from man, but from God. Meaning we're learning deep within us to love with everything that we are, our Father's pleasure over us. I don't need all these other things because my daddy absolutely loves me. And when you look down at verse four, look there with me. Your father not only loves you, but your father who sees in secret, verse four, will reward you. Your father who sees in secret, verse six, will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you, verse 18. Now I started just thinking about this. If where we put our treasure is, our heart will follow, then what are the treasures that God is offering us? I went to the book of Matthew, man. In Matthew 5, 3, 5, and 10, the passage on the Beatitudes that Christian talks about, he's offering us the kingdom. Not just the temporal kingdom, the forever kingdom. Not the kingdom that has within it death. Not the kingdom that has within it sickness. Not the kingdom that has within it crying. He is offering to us the kingdom that is coming to its fullness. And when it comes to its fullness, it will be the forever kingdom where there is no more crying. There is no more death. There is no more crime. There is no more 405 freeway. <laughs> and all God's people said, Amen. come on. Matthew five nineteen. His reward, you may not get greatness in this kingdom, but you will have greatness in his. Now I was trying to think, what in the world does that look like? Because later on, he's gonna talk about this idea of greater responsibility in Matthew 19 for those that, that are faithful within the kingdom. I don't know what it's gonna be like, but this constant aspiring for the praise of man, God is sitting there going, hey man, that is nothing compared to what I have in store for you. Don't go after that stuff. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You don't have to go after that stuff. My reward is greater than anything. And let me just say this. I think this is what's so hard for us as Americans because we want immediate gratification. And the other night, I, I was coming home and I told my kiddos, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, we got to we gotta get dinner ready. And one of my kids goes, oh, go, what's up? I'm so hungry. I can't wait. Instant gratification. Beware of instant gratification. That's where C.S. Lewis talked about it. God is offering us a vacation at the beach. We're settling for mud puddles and he's offering us the ocean. See, what has to happen is, is we need to fuel those things. We need to fuel the idea that we know deep within us that we have a seat at the marriage feast of the lamb that he's gonna talk about later on. We need to fuel that this life is merely a breath. It comes and it's gonna go. But in this life, we don't have to seek what others seek. We don't have to seek what the Gentiles seek. We don't have to seek what the Pharisees seek because they're going after a reward that is nothing compared to the reward that the Father has for us. 
In fact, one of the greatest things you can do as a follower of Jesus is if you want your heart to be on these things, set your treasure on the reward of the Father to come. And I promise you, you will not regret it. Those who choose to live for Jesus and his reward at the end, you will not regret it. Or you can keep going after this and then this. Nothing. Are there immediate rewards? Of course. The immediate rewards are we will learn that God supplies all our needs. We will learn that victory over love of materialism through a deep trust in God. We will develop a heart of comfort and compassion for others. We'll trust that God hears and answers prayer. We'll experience encouragement and peace. We'll gain a heavenly kingdom focus. We'll fellowship with God. We'll have spiritual growth. We'll have access to the very ear of the God of the universe. We'll have spiritual freedom. We'll have spirit-led self-control. We'll have the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus. Yes, will we have all those things in the immediate? Yes. But Jesus promised these guys later in Matthew, those who give up houses and fields and all these things for my name's sake, I promise you it will come back a hundredfold more. We need to fuel our treasure so that our heart will follow after. Now, I think in some levels though, we say, but man, Todd, this seems so hard. I've always told you this before. I'm a sucker for big trucks. I grew up on a farm and a ranch. And I was driving in my Volvo. <laughs> Family sedan. And a big old truck pulled up next to me. I look over at that truck and I said, your truck is this. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> On an honest level, I fought it with the reward of God. We have to learn to put those rewards in front of us. But the greatest reality that we need to do is what Jesus promised those guys that walked with him. Follow me and I will make you. Be with me. Walk with me. Know me. Love me. Follow me. Enjoy me. Make me the absolute center of your affections. And I promise you, I will make you into me. I will make you into Jesus. You see, the greatest reward is the transformation into the image of King Jesus. There is no greater reward. So let me finish this way. If you're somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus, you might be sitting there going, what the world? And let me just say to you, 
I want Cornerstone to be so passionate about the transformation of Jesus that you don't run into hypocrites, you don't run into Pharisees and Sadducees, but you run into people that are passionate lovers of Jesus. And out of that passionate love that they have for Jesus, they love you, not in a fake way, not in a pretend way, but they love you deep from that place that they believe that the reward of Father, the Father is greater than anything that this world has to offer. I want them to show you by how they live that Jesus Christ is King. For those that are followers of Jesus, let me just say this. Follow him. Now somebody's probably looking at their friend next to him going, he said the same thing last week. My gosh, he must not have studied. Jeez, no. Follow Jesus. Make your life about following Jesus. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Follow him and he will make you. Make him big and all the other stuff just gets faded out. Father, thank you so much for everybody that's here this morning. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the reminder. Father, I confess to you, even right now, there's a battle going on inside of me. <laughs> oh, anytime we seek to, to engage in such a way in which we want to make much of you, there's that weird part of us that wants to make much of ourselves. Forgive me. Father, I pray for Cornerstone. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, out of a passionate love for a Jesus, a belief in the reward of the Father, oh, that you will stir us to shine our light before people so that people might see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Father, protect us from hiding and being that wicked servant that, that later we're gonna say to them, depart from me, we don't, we don't know each other. But Father, also protect us from just the awfulness of stealing from you what is rightfully yours. Help us to be who you've created us to be from the very beginning. Help us to be those image bearers. Help us to be those ones that love showing you off. Help us to be the mirror, not the sponge. Oh, Father, if we're ever gonna tackle things like diving out into this world of human trafficking, clear down to just diving into the world of the mess that's our neighborhoods. Oh, Father, would you do a work in us that's undeniable? And Father, would we not convey a sense of hypocrisy? Would you help us to take our masks off? And instead of a mask that's fake, oh, would we learn the joy of you forming Christ in us? Thanks so much for this church. Thanks for dying for this church. Oh, God because you died for us. I can't wait to see what you still have in store for us. Oh, bring your grace to bear so that others might know you. In your precious name we pray, amen.